Welcome to the Compliance Expert Radio Show, your source for the latest information on corporate governance, internal audit, stocks and risk management services. With in-depth interviews, discussions and insights from leading experts. Hosted by Sonia Luna, CEO and founder of Aviva Spectrum. This is the Compliance Expert Radio Show. And now, here is your host, Sonia Luna. Hi, I'm Sonia Luna, CEO and founder of Aviva Spectrum, a GRC and compliance consulting firm headquartered in sunny Los Angeles, California. I'm also a speaker and writer on topics like corporate governance, COSO 2013, ERM, SACS 404, quality assessment reviews, and related topics. My guest today is the Global Director of Internal Audit at Quicksilver, Nicole Ungaro. Quicksilver is what I would call, you know, that look and feel of the California surfer. It's truly a global California-based brand. And Nicole has 16 years experience in auditing, starting her career in external audit at KPMG. She then transitioned into internal audit, creating an internal audit department at Universal Electronics and Wet Seal. Nicole holds a Bachelor's of Science degree from Cal State Long Beach. Nicole is also involved in the best profession in the world, which is part of the Institute of Internal Auditors in Orange County as the treasurer since August 2014. Welcome, Nicole. Thank you, Sonia. I'm so happy to be here. Well, I'm very happy you're a guest today because I know we're going to get really deep into a very serious issue. It's an increasing trend, which is talking about auditing third-party providers. Okay, so what? let's get into it. What are some of the best practices you can suggest for auditing third-party providers? And more importantly, what are some of the common mistakes? Yes, of course. Let's start with some of the best practices. I think it's really important that management gets internal audit really involved in the planning phase when deciding to outsource a third party. You know, sometimes some of those third parties don't have a SOC report that's available, and it's really important that internal audit understands how they can help and how they can get involved. When I was at one of my former companies, I helped update one of our contract policy processes to really make sure that we include some of the due diligence required um, prior to sign-off and, and to make sure that internal audit was notified when a third party would be used. Therefore, instead of before they were engaged, we can kind of step up and say, hey, what are the controls that are going to be in place at this third party if in doubt there was not a SOC report? You know, we're not all as lucky to have some of those big ADP companies that have SOC reports because they have so many clients you know, SOC reports can be very expensive. Um, some of the Amazons of the world, they are not going to provide a SOC report. So it's really important to get internal audit involved, properly vet some of your third-party providers before engaging them. And, you know, at, sometimes I find it kind of strange that internal audit is really supposed to be managing and monitoring risk and, and help with enterprise risk assessment, but they're not always the ones at the table when you have these important meetings, and they are not really always aware of some of the changes that are happening in the organization. 
And um, I was really lucky at one of my former companies, I actually reported to the CEO, and I was able to really be a part of strategy and be able to know where the company was going and, and kind of when they decided to do some of those outsourcing. And so, so it sounds like communication and, and coming up with a uh, a collaborative approach on if doing that upfront work on the relationship with that service provider, right? So, Definitely. you know, what's the criteria? What's the performance evaluation process? Um, so right before we get into, you know, outsourcing, obviously the why factor, but more importantly, like what exactly are we going to get out of the relationship as it's being performed? Um, and w what are those triggering events to say this is on track and this is not on track? Um, because you're right, not everybody's going to have the financial backing of creating a SOC report to provide internal audit or the management team. Exactly. And, you know, and one of the second yeah. points I wanted to bring up is just making sure that, you know, the internal auditor and legal kind of look through the contract and make sure that internal audit has the right to actually audit at that location and making sure that, you know, the processes and procedures that everyone agreed upon actually were implemented. You know, it, I really feel like internal audit can audit any process as long as they understand what the procedures are, but they have to actually be there and the evidence has to be available. Um, I think it's important to maybe also have the right to have surprise audits, not always, you know, let them know when you're coming so you can really get a sense and a flavor of what's happening there and to really protect the company and the risks that might be involved. And, and um, possibly and working with, with counsel on, on what's an emergency audit, right? Like yes. like you said, it, it may not have to be scheduled uh, so many days, months, or weeks in advance, but what would be a triggering event that would cause the management team to say, no, we, we need to be there tomorrow? Exactly. Yes. Mm -hmm. And then la lastly, you know, when all else fails, make sure that you really have strong business controls in your organization. So that way, if anything goes awry at your service provider, that you've been able to detect it. You don't want any material misstatements in your financial statements. And especially if you don't have that SOC report that's going to help you identify certain errors or exceptions, you want to make sure that, you know, management is also aware. And a lot of misnomers is, you know, outsourcing kind of means out of scope, and that's not always the case. Mm -hmm. Right, it could yeah. be in scope. There's a lot of tr there's a lot of ways of determining that, you know, scoping process in terms of not only materiality but also substance of, let's say, uh, risk. Sometimes you've mm -hmm. allocate or you thought you could allocate some of that risk off to someone when in reality it's actually you still own the risk. Um, what are some of the common mistakes then that you see? Yes, I was going to bring up, I had a story from a colleague they shared with me, and, and unfortunately they decided to um, outsource their distribution center. Um, there was a lot of misnomers, miscommunication between the service provider and management. Um, when they went out there to perform the audit, they found out that the SOX procedures were not being continued, and it was basically their WMS system and that numbers, you know, those kind of bring revenue and inventory to the financial statements. And it's kind of beyond me how people can kind of let that slide and, and kind of determine that, you know, that's not in scope because those are two major numbers. Um, so they had some issues. They did not have control reliance on the system um, for most of the year. Uh, so that was a big, big disconnect between the contract and the processes and the procedures out at the distribution center. 
Um, I think that the third party kind of thought, well, they're not a public company. They don't have to comply with SOX. It's expensive. And um, internal audit went out there a little bit too late. And so at this point, it caused a lot of extra work for internal audit, external audit. Um, and then finally, the third party had to hire another individual, which increased the cost. A lot of times people feel, you know, we're going to outsource this because we want to save money. But if you don't have the right processes and procedures in place, at the end of the day, it can be very expensive, especially if you have non-control reliance. Yeah, we've even seen uh, common mistakes such as, like you said, um, validating the expectations in the contract, right? So people respect mm -hmm. what you inspect, and, and if you're not already in the beginning of the relationship, not validating certain key reports that you're relying upon, uh, whether it's services or goods, what have you, that the, that you're um, per allowing this third-party provider to do for you, um, if you don't do it in the beginning, sometimes people feel like, oh, well, I guess they don't really need a lot of this detail, or, gee, we never get questions on this, or no one ever comes out here. Um, exactly. And so they there's there's a psychological effect uh, that happens to, to some third-party providers, obviously, that, that don't get um, audited on a regular basis by a third party, but um, <clears throat> what... What would you say, though, I mean, kind of shifting, you know, viewpoints, okay, so a chief audit executive, right, so they, they have the SOC report, let's say, so what what should a chief audit executive have as a top priority when they're reviewing a SOC report, which is also known as a service organization controls report? Well, I think it's really important that they look at the client considerations that are included in that report because those are really the controls that need to be in place at the organization, right? And I think it's important that management understands that a SOC report isn't really an internal audit report. It's not, at the end of the day, something that internal audit needs necessarily because we can perform other procedures, but it's really to give management that sense that, everything's okay, that they can rely on what the service organization is doing. They should really hone in on any of the deficiencies that might be identified and determine if there's any other work that might need to be done. Um, another thing that's really important is making sure that the SOC report covers the right period. Um, a lot of the retail organizations that I've worked at are January 31 year-end, and sometimes the report, you know, stops at 1231, and then there's a time where the report needs to be issued, and then there's a gap. So what I've found is, you know, sometimes you need to visit those locations, try to do procedures up front in order to make sure things are okay before you get that SOC report. Mm -hmm. Yeah, because uh, just looking at it also from a different angle on a what could go wrong, if something did go horribly wrong in the relationship and someone wanted to, let's say, leverage the insurance policy of that service, that third-party provider, they can, remember, they, they can go back and say, remember, in my SOC report, I actually told you you needed, these are the user considerations you, the company, needed to do. So if push comes to shove, I can assure you that there's going to be a battle based on facts did you really do those user considerations? You know, because that was part of the limitation, right, of, you you know, outsourcing the services to a third-party provider. Um, and that's where people kind of failed to kind of look at it from like a different viewpoint is, okay, what would the insurance, whose insurance policy would be taken into consideration if I had some ownership 
uh, meaning the company, right, did not really validate those user considerations. Do, is it 100% their insurance policy? But I don't think so, right? It, there's going to be a battle of show me who was is was some was one entity really 100% at, at fault, and that's where you need that audit evidence on user considerations to be really pinned down very well. Oh, definitely. Um, and, and internal to... audit. I was just going to say, internal audit can definitely jump in and help because they know the control environment the best and can help identify the controls that kind of cover some of those considerations. But at the end of the day, you know, management needs to make sure that those are operating effectively. Right. It's not just that one-time audit, uh, you know, review process. It's management does need to own it and make sure that it's operating consistently. You know, if it's a daily control, yes, every single operating day, weekly, et cetera. Um, Let's talk about risk assessments a little bit now. Have you seen um, people that are in, like, risk management positions or or internal auditors take into consideration third-party risk in their risk assessments and audit plans? Well, I really think this is a new area of focus, and definitely this is something that's come up when I've talked to several of my networking groups and other CEAs in the in the in the region. It's just you know one of those extra areas that you really need to hone in on and understand. It's really hard to plan the audit and understand that you do have the right resources in place and the right budget and and plan your audit accordingly if you really don't understand the risks at hand. Right at the end of the day, SOX is all about risk, financial reporting, and making sure that those material misstatements are going to be identified. So um, I'm going to be having, I'm actually hosting um, an IA forum, in, forum over here at Quicksilver at the end of the month where a lot of the local CAGs are coming over. And we're going to really, this is one of the topics that are going to be on our agenda to just also kind of brainstorm and, and think about best ways to tackle this and make sure that management and the board also understands because like I mentioned before, outsourcing does not always mean out of scope, and a lot of people get that confused. Now, you're definitely a leader, Nicole, in, in the space for sure, and I'm sure the uh, chapter is very uh, grateful for all the, the hard work you do. I mean, uh, just the volunteer time alone and then having it at your space to have that brainstorming session. And the, and the risk assessments um, do need to change, right, because if the environment changes, the criteria might need to be changed. For example, 10 years ago, were people really worried about cloud storage providers, right? right. So mm-hmm. it, it does need to be, or mobile devices and, and the use of them and, and how you you can even create your own network off of your cell phone. Okay, so um, risk considerations are going to change, and then the elevation up and down from high to low, that's also going to change year to year, and sometimes it might change more frequently depending on what's going on with the company. Um, and it, and obviously, it obviously impacts your audit plan. Um, oh, yeah. I think what's most you – know, go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say, and, you know, and the boards and management are really concerned. You know, there's other hot topics about, like, cybersecurity and things like that, and you need to also understand those risks as you are outsourcing. You might outsource information. you got client information, employee information, some of your vendor information, and if you don't know exactly the risks of that organization, you can open yourself up to all kinds of litigation, lawsuits, um, bad publicity. Yeah, and I I just um, had the experience of talking to a, an older um, audit committee member, and 
his comments to me about, you know, the risk assessment process is, you know, he wants the dashboard, um, and I think most board members want that summary level. It's a macro level, right, review of a risk right. assessment. But he doesn't want to be excluded in, in the conversation about technical issues. He just, they, they, they really, board members want to be included in the conversation so that they can have input on defining some of those risks or um, asking questions of, well, you know, walk me through the risk scoring process. When does that change? Help me understand the input process or are there brainstorming sessions? Walk me through that. Um, what I have found is communication about, you know, the process itself also allows greater confidence from the board to say, you know what, we talk through the process of how internal audit is actually conducting the risk assessments. They may not know, they may not be the subject matter expert of mobile device security issues, but I, you know, I, we were, we had the ability to ask questions. We know we probably need to invite other departments in the conversation. Um, and they just want more information about the process sometimes, uh, above and beyond just just seeing it on a dashboard, it's actually talking to department heads. Um, and then others want to see more visuals, like it, it, beyond a dashboard, you know, at the 50,000-foot level, show me how the network is actually attached internally, you know, just big picture um, without going into individual service, just big picture, how is the firewall secured or the network um, secured, et cetera. So those things, um, they want to be invited to the conversation because they want to ask questions. And some of them might be elementary, but in reality, they're just trying to um, get a sense of confidence from your response. Um, <clears throat> but it is a, a growing trend in terms of uh, third-party providers. Uh, board members want to know, well, what's the risk to them? It, it, and some of it may not be financial. It's just reputation risk that they want to avoid. Yeah, and at yeah. the end of the day, too – oh, go ahead. Oh, no, uh, Please. Oh, I was just going to say at the end of the day, you know, we also have to consider the new COSO 2013 framework that's, you know, everyone should be implementing or already have implemented at this point. But, you know, there's specific requirements that talk about communication and monitoring and of those third-party service providers. And if management and the board don't take some of this seriously, um, at the end of the day, that could turn up to be a material weakness in itself. Mm -hmm. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Well, Nicole, everyone has a story, and I know you got one too, girl, so about their career path. Can you share with our listeners what drew you to compliance and what what advice, okay, would you give others for career success? Yes, definitely. I mean, I love talking about myself. Who doesn't, right? <laughs> so um, I actually I was very fortunate to start my career at KPMG. Um, I worked in external audit, which was mostly financial services, working on a lot of banks. Um, banks had to comply with FIDICIA um, in 1991, and that's the Federal Deposit Insurance Corporation Improvement Act um, that came about. It was kind of socks for banks. And so I kind of got a big, a big flavor of compliance right from the get-go. Um, I really liked the structure. And when SOCs did come about in, in 2014, I was well-versed on the concept and really can just kind of, you know, dive in. And with all that experience that I, I gained there, I was able to then transition on to uh, Universal Electronics, which is a global wireless control technology company um, that connects, you know, people – TVs to the home and, and, and across the globe. I started there in 2005, 
Um, when I started, there was probably about five consultants that were there implementing SOCS at the time, and I kind of came in and was able to continue on to that um, that program and leverage some internal resources to help me continue that. Um, some of our IT departments would audit, the U.S. would audit the European and vice versa to kind of also keep some costs down. But I, I gained invaluable experience being able to travel abroad, um, really being able to learn more about cultures and, and kind of mannerisms and things like that, which helps a, as an internal auditor because you always want to be sensitive of, you know, people's, experiences with auditors and at the end of the day you are auditing them right so you want to be you know make sure that you understand what they're going through and, and being able to provide the right resources that they need um, and so from there I was able to take a couple months off and and then I found myself um, at wet seal and I worked up there until February of 2015 unfortunately wet now um, a private organization. So that's kind of what brought me to Quicker. And with my global experience um, at Universal Electronics, it was easy for me to kind of transition here. We do have locations in Australia and France. Um, and compliance is just great. Like I said, it, it's very strict. Um, and at the end of the day, I like being an internal auditor. I like being able to help people, I like to be able to give back, and I really try to approach each situation with that, you know, that attitude. That's a, that's a very uh, interesting career path, especially, uh, you know, I really what resonated with me was on the rotational testing using internal management resources. Um, that's a, a very unique um, leadership skill set I have found. That you know. Working in a collaborative effort to have uh, someone from a different office come to, let's say, uh, another domain, right, another department head, and audit, um, and vice versa, and then someone else going out. Uh, I actually had that experience at Ticketmaster, and what I can tell you, it, it takes um, not only good scheduling skills, but also collaboration and, and uh, communication skills. So I, I tip my hat off to you because it's not an easy process to kind of go through, especially when you're evalu evaluating people's skill sets, right? Because Right. Um, you know, someone could be a department head, but but they don't have the strongest, let's say, documentation and testing skill sets, and and they may not be the right fit um, to do that rotational, you know, testing. But um, also, well, this I also that, found that go ahead. Just, like just um, as far as best practices, you know, um, each department and location could really learn from one another. At the end of the day, some people think they might be doing the best thing or the best way to do something, and by them kind of auditing one another, they actually became, you know, better comrades and, and were able to really benefit and learn from one another. And that's what ended up happening was uh, there was different data centers at the time. That, that's no longer the case today at Ticketmaster, but people, um, especially on the procurement side, we found best practices happening because um, – Certain uh, controllers of a, of a data center, they were just doing. They were they had the right checks and balances. In other words, if you if you r created a roadmap of how a vendor got paid, <clears throat> there were enough checks and balances. But some of the tactical things in terms of 
you know, validating certain invoices, meaning on the approval process or um, the purchase order, uh, you know, validating that the quantity was starting to be met or sometimes on services, quite frankly, that's where you're right. Uh, people would pick up, oh, well, this department head does it over in this location this way or I do it this way and they started sharing and collaborating. Um, there was even some uh, system updates because there was this, you know, different uh, department heads from different data centers went up to upper management saying, you know, we all are experiencing this one big pain in the procurement cycle. This would be kind of nice if we actually updated. It's not just me, right? They didn't feel like they were the only person kind of suffering through something. Exactly. Yeah. Well, this, I mean, well, what, do you want to add color about career successes, Nicole? Like, what does it take to be very successful in this type of career? I would say networking is really, really important because everybody just deals with different issues every day, and I found that just so invaluable, um, especially with being a part of the IIA and, and going to as many events as I can. I was fortunate when I was at Wet Seal to be able to go to the National Retail Federation internal audit um, meetings twice a year and also kind of meet with some of the big players, um, people from The Gap, TJ Maxx. Um, those kind of people, and, and now they're in my networking group, and, and it's also really important to give back, right? We don't always just want to take, take, so you also want to make sure that you offer support and help where you can, and um, we're all in it together. Like we said, we, everyone has a different experience every day, and sometimes you're not really sure how to approach something or, or what's maybe the best tactic, and, and I really think that it's great to make sure you have that really strong support group. And at the end of the day, it's it's important to do what you love. Um, we spend most of our time at work, and, and I'm very fortunate to find a career that I'm very passionate about. And, and I always, you know, I want to give back. I think it's important, too, as part of the organization to really give back. And, and I try to, you know, support other students and kind of, you know, get them involved as well. Yeah, so I, networking, definitely a key component in terms of career successes. You, you just never know you're, who you're going to bump into. And then um, <clears throat> collaborating in the networking group uh, is also a major factor. For example, um, you don't have to reinvent the wheel. Somebody may have had a template on, you know, a test plan for auditing credit cards. Right, so you don't have to try to research on the web. Sometimes asking, especially if you're part of a networking organization or a professional association such as the IAA, allows you that access to other peers. And what I have found, it's a very collaborative um, professional association where um, I, people are more than willing to share their templates and their thoughts about problems and how they they have come to solve it. Uh, you know, we recently did a joint webinar with. Um, uh, someone over at Kaiser, and she had asked some of her peer group to, uh, it was on risk assessments, if they had any templates. Lo and behold, she got an email from 15 people, and we had about 10, we had to cut down our webinar to, to only 10 risk assessment type templates, uh, one of which dealt with a, a, an audit plan. So it just tells you the power of networking and some of the results. You know, you, you, once you, you get what you put into it, right? So if you volunteer for a professional association versus just a paid member, you know, th there are some significant differences. There's a big delta there. 
Yeah, definitely. And I could say that, you know, I've been very fortunate in my career path that, you know, I haven't actually used a recruiter. Um, it's all been by word of mouth or people that know me. People call me directly and let me know about positions and, and things out there. And like I said, that's just very invaluable. And it, and it's just really important to make sure that you give back in the organization and, and try to help out others. Absolutely. Well, this has been a fascinating interview, Nicole, and I'm confident our listeners gained a lot of value, especially about the risks involved with uh, third-party providers. Thank you so much for coming on our compliance radio show. Well, thank you. It It was an honor. So for more effective third-party compliance reviews, visit us at avivaspectrum.com. This is Sonia Luna, CEO and founder of Aviva Spectrum, signing off.